Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to School for Course in Miracles. I'm Tony Neal, and tonight we're going to be talking about the power that we have as sons of God, the power of our faith, the power of our belief, the power of our mind, and how we have misused that power to make a whole world of make-believe, a world of magic, a world of dreams, idols, illusions, under its own insane laws, and how now we have to seek for someone or something outside of us to complete us, forgetting how powerful we all truly are as sons of God. We have the power to even forget where our true power lies, and how now this pseudo power, if you were, seems to have power over us, but in reality, how we have just given it away and made ourselves seem weak and vulnerable and frail. And now we have made a world of fantasy where our toys have now turned against us like some horror movie. The things that we made to entertain and distract us now seem to have power of their own, magical powers of their own. And I, I was always fascinated from the time I was a child by magic. I remember reading about Houdini and I even bought books on how to do magic tricks. And I just, I just always loved it. And as I got older, I enjoyed seeing illusionists. I went to see David Copperfield and David Blaine and Chris Angel, people like that. I still think there's some real magic in that. <laughs> I didn't like the shows with Penn and Teller because that showed how you did the tricks. I wanted to be tricked. I wanted to be deceived. It's kind of like a child that doesn't want to give up the belief in Santa Claus. So I remember I was sixth grade and by then, you know, you're 12 years old. Most people have stopped believing. But I remember there were a few kids when they were talking about not being a Santa Claus and they look so just de you know, dejected. And so, well, maybe, maybe there could be. So that's how I feel about magic. <laughs> maybe there really is some. And I was always fascinated by uh, stories of people like in the Far East, these master yogis that could perform these superhuman feats, you know, they could bury themselves alive and slow down their heart rates and all of these things, or, or people like Sai Baba, I haven't heard about him for a long time, but he's purportedly can manifest things right out of the air, you know, of fruit and jewelry. I, I knew somebody that had actually seen him and, you know, it seems pretty incredible. It's like, boy, they have some kind of superhuman powers. Wouldn't that be neat to have that? So, um, but, but, you know, we are all, we're all master magicians. And at the same time, we're really under our own spell. We made this whole physical universe a place to hide in, to escape to. And then we even cast a spell of amnesia on ourselves, lest we for, you know, remember and end the whole dream. It'd be over, game over. No more, no more specialness, no more individuality. So we're like the walking dead. You know, We're like zombies who walk the earth unaware of their true identity, their true reality. And sometimes we get glimpses but then we go right back to that role of the unknowing, of the victim of forces seemingly beyond our control. And then, you know, we start to get maybe start to get a, a come out of it a little bit. But then all you have to do is turn on the news and you get sucked right back in. Doesn't take long. And 
the news. I don't know when the news became only bad news, but you know, every night it's, it's always around dinner time or right before you go to bed, we have news of wars and pandemics and the latest murders and natural disasters, the seemingly endless shop of horrors that we've made to keep us distracted, to keep our focus on externals, uh, ways to project, ways to protect our guilt for what we secretly believe we did, so we'll never go back to our mind and choose something else. So as long as we keep ourselves distracted, we don't have to worry about that. We see it and we believe it. Forget the part that we had in making it. And it certainly seems real enough. And then if that's not enough, we make fantasy worlds within the fantasy worlds to distract us even further. Look at all the amusement parks and how, how elaborate they've become. The virtual games were addicted to drama, to adrenaline. The more you know, the horrific, the better. Scary roller coaster rides, you know, how much more frightening can they become? Horror movies, this was always my worst one about dolls and puppets who come to life. I remember having nightmares about that as a, as a child and I couldn't look at my dolls, you know, I had to hide them before I went to bed. But we need that fear. We need that excitement to make it more real, to fuel the fire. And once in a while, we throw in some nice stuff to balance it out a little bit. But it'll change because you can't count on anything. That's also part of it. Nothing can be counted on. Then if that isn't bad enough, now we have reality TV. That's now entertainment. So <laughs> the real stuff is now considered entertainment. But all of it, you know, all their idols, all their illusions, the good, the bad, the ugly, it's all the same. Illusion is illusion is illusion. It's all part of our dream and, we, and it cannot have any power over us to make us happy, to disturb us without our consent. So nothing is made in isolation, the Course tells us. We need agreement. We need to share these dreams in order to give, give them any sense of reality. So you might say it's a collaborative venture. And the purpose is to keep the belief in the separate existence going, to keep us so distracted that we'll never go back to our mind and choose again. And it's only our belief in them that gives them any seeming power over us. And the good news is that our true self our true life is totally unaffected by any of this. And it has gone on just the same as it always was. Nothing has ever affected it. Because only what is of God has any true power. Right in chapter one on page 19, paragraph one, you don't have to turn there. I've just uh, It says the peace of God is totally incapable of being shaken by errors of any kind. It, the peace of God, denies the ability of anything not of God to affect you, and nothing he created not exist. So we all share in this dream of madness, and we all share in the common need to awaken from our dreams, to reclaim the power of our mind and return it to its true function of creation. So tonight we're going to look at ways that we keep this dream going, the ways that we keep it, the dream alive, how we empower it and why, the purpose that it serves. 
to see it for what it is so that we can loosen its hold on us until we eventually can awaken from it. So before we do the opening meditation, does anybody have any, anything they want to add to that? <laughs> Anyways, we keep ourselves distracted. Okay, so for the opening meditation, I was going to do uh, lesson 50 on page 79 of the workbook. If you want to turn to it, you can. I'm going to read four paragraphs and then we'll take a moment to get still. The lesson is, I am sustained by the love of God. Here is the answer to every problem that will confront you today and tomorrow and throughout time. In this world, you believe you are sustained by everything but God. Your faith is placed in the most trivial and insane symbols, pills, money, protective clothing, influence, prestige, being light, knowing the right people, quote unquote, and an endless list of forms of nothingness that you endow with magical powers. All these things are your replacements for the love of God. All these things are cherished to ensure a body identification. They are songs of praise to the ego. Do not put your faith in the worthless. It will not sustain you. Only the love of God will protect you in all circumstances. It will lift you out of every trial and raise you high above all the perceived dangers of the world into a climate of perfect peace and safety. It will transport you into a state of mind that nothing can threaten, nothing can disturb, and where nothing can intrude upon the eternal calm of the Son of God. Put not your faith in illusions. They will fail you. Put all your faith and the love of God within you, eternal, changeless, and forever unfailing. This is the answer to whatever confronts you today. Through the love of God within you, you can resolve all seeming difficulties without effort and ensure confidence. Tell yourself this often. It is a declaration of release from the belief in idols. It is your acknowledgement of the truth about yourself. Let's just take those thoughts into the silence for a little bit. And I'll bring us back. And gently come back. Anybody have any thoughts about that? I think that lesson pretty much says it all, doesn't it? <laughs> Where we have misplaced our, our faith. So I wanted to start with a little story that you probably all have heard in one form or another, a real simple little story about the Indian brave who goes to his father, the chief, and he says, father, there are two dogs outside. Which one is going, and they're fighting. 
which one is going to win? And the wise chief said, well, the one that you feed. So what are we feeding? You know, what beliefs are we feeding? What are we empowering? What are we giving power over us? It's only ever one of two things, despite all the many forms that we see. The content is always either between the thought system of the ego, which is the belief in separate interests, the belief that we're guilty, or it's the Holy Spirit's thought system that nothing has ever happened, the belief in our innocence and shared interest. And it's a choice that we are making every moment of every day, every hour of every day, the same choice. In chapter five in uh, healing and wholeness, I'm gonna be paraphrasing some of the chapters, um, which is on page 76 and 77, <clears throat> excuse me. In paragraph six, he tells us how choosing depends on a split mind. Obviously you have to have something to choose between. The Holy Spirit is one way of choosing, and his is the voice for God's will. And it says that in paragraph eight, it tells us that he is in the part of your mind that always speaks for the right choice because he speaks for God. Your divided devotion has given you the two voices, and you must choose at which altar you want to serve. And that depends on which call is worth more to you. Which, which altar we place our, at the center of devotion within us where we, where we turn to. And then on page 77, paragraph 11, he says, when you're tempted by the wrong voice, so this is Jesus saying this, call on me to remind you how to heal by sharing my decision and making it stronger. As we share this goal, we increase its power to attract the whole sonship and to bring it back into the oneness in which it was created. So we're going to look at some ways that we empower, that we feed our ego, our illusions, our idols, our guilt. Ways that say, I am weak, I'm vulnerable. I'm a victim at mercy of things and situations outside of me beyond my control that seem to have power over me. And I want you all to be thinking about this too while I'm reading some of these things to see if you can come up with any other ways that you can think of. And these are just the symptoms, you know, the, the choices made internally in our mind, but these are ways that it plays out and that we can, if we know that and we're aware of it, then we can catch ourselves maybe before we get too far into it. So of course, any time that we're giving anyone or anything the power to steal our peace. Whenever we say, I am upset, I'm angry, I'm depressed, and you put that word because, <laughs> there's always a because and, and immediately is something else external to me. Anytime we fight, that we, we resist something and we're, we fight against it like a, like a tug of war, you know, that gets stronger, the, the ego gets stronger, it likes strife. Anything that we're strongly attached to, whether through fear, through hate, or even through love, it's an unhealthy form of attachment. We give it a power over us to make us happy, or to make us angry, or to make us sad. Anytime we react to anything, we're making the error real. 
we're buying into the drama, the news. When we turn that on at night, we become defensive, we get angry. Anytime we get caught up in our stories, especially those of victimization, poor me, look what I've been through, the childhood I had, or look what's going on now with the, the pandemic, or there's always something outside of me that's responsible. Anytime we get caught in judgment, accusing someone of not meeting our needs, our expectations. Anytime we have the need to be right, the need to defend our position, Anytime we have a need to focus on differences or separate interests, and I know none of us do this, but anytime that we're engaged in gossip or rumors or conspiracy theories. So those are my list of, of things that I came up with. Does anybody have anything that <laughs> they might think that um, how we empower the ego and our guilt and keep it going, how we like to do that? Anybody? Oh, surely somebody's got something. <laughs> okay. Okay. Food, food, food and diet. What was that? <laughs> food, food, oh. <clears throat> diet, exercise. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. That's a real good one. All that. <laughs> focus on the body. Look how much time and effort is spent on, on improving our bodies, keeping us, you know, anti-age, uh, medic, uh, whatever, you know, whether it's some plastic surgery or, or some new, there's always something new that they're recommending the latest, the latest fad, you know, these are just ways to keep it. Yeah. Just something else to keep, keep this going. The belief in this, that this is who I am and what I have to do. Oh, you see that puppy? Oh, you see that puppy? <laughs> uh, oh, else? the puppy. The puppy is a defense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Well, it tells us in chapter five on page 73 that how thoughts increase by be, being given away. And the more who believe in them, the stronger they become. That's how, you know, it's like a, a train that keeps going. It gets faster and faster. The more that we, people that we can get to agree with us, and everything is an idea. So that works with both projection, the things we're trying to get rid of, or by through, it also works with extension. We can also join with the Holy Spirit and share his perceptions, the right-minded perceptions, true perceptions. And we can share those with our brothers as well. So instead of joining with the ego, we can share truth instead of the ego's lies. So you don't have to turn there, but on page, um, it's in chapter 14, page 288, paragraph four, it says to do that, to share that, to extend the truth, we have to withdraw acceptance from the ego. You can't be in both at the same time. You're either in one or the other. And so at every moment, we're making that choice every single moment. You know, the, we say, talk about the separation as a moment that happened. We can't even go back that far, but we don't have to because every single moment we are reliving that. And so we can change it at any time. We can stop it. Stephen had some kind of special defense they do in oh. San Antonio. I don't, I don't know. I'm kind of scared. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you should be. Just kidding. <laughs> 
<laughs> just kidding. I, I have something I've been doing, working on now for, uh, I don't know, months. It's probably a year because uh, time's gotten really weird for me uh, in the last uh, whatever. Uh, I, I do this thing no matter what happens. I go, oh, darn. You know, if I, you know, if I locked the, the front door and I forgot my keys inside, oh, darn. You know, if, if some mayonnaise falls on the floor while I'm making my sandwich, oh, darn. And it's a regular thing. And I've been doing it all my life. And and every time I do it, I'm, I'm where you I'm where you're talking about. It's it's an it's an, it, a minor irritation. That thing like, uh, you know, what says, whether it's a hangnail or cancer, it's the same thing. But, and and I, I so I started looking at that and I realized how often I do this. I do it every day with any little thing that, that happens. And I've had a bunch of days now where I, where I haven't done it. And, and that's what I think is maybe the incremental, uh, you know, moving up the uh, ladder of prayer <laughs> just by saying, Oh, oh it's darn. Okay. Well, it's, it's really, okay. that's, that's as bad as it gets. Oh, darn. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, no, <laughs> no, but you know, this is a, this is a, a, a group here, you know, a group of, of, of really nice people. So we'll, uh, we'll keep it at that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. Anybody else have anything? <laughs> yeah, Tony, I, I think um, another way it's more defensive, but it's we try to spirit, spiritualize things that aren't spiritual, like spiritualize our jobs and we're going to make them holy. And, you know, um, another way is bringing truth to illusions and uh you know, trying to uh, make make those things spiritual as well. Right. So. Right. Yeah. Thank you. That's yeah. that's a really good point. Yeah, I didn't think about that. Yeah, I'm sure there's the, uh, the latest come. the latest concern I have is uh, I, especially the older I get is that either Lynn or I am going to forget to do something we're supposed to do. Mm. And I'm really getting more obsessed with that every day. <laughs> <laughs> that's pretty, that, that gets pretty fierce sometimes. Huh. So that's yeah. a fear, a fear of something that uh, is going <clears throat> to happen in the future. Yeah. Oh, the future. Of course, our preoccupation with the future and ways to protect ourselves and what's going to happen. And um, I got really caught up in that a few years ago. Uh, a family member had lost their, their wife and I almost went to this panic mode that we've got to make preparations because I don't want to leave that for my daughter to take care of if something happens. And, you know, I really got into this thing for, for a while. And, and then I had to look, step back and look at that. I had just got totally sucked into that. And um, I mean, it's okay to make preparations, but, but it really had a hold on me for a while. And, and it was, it wouldn't have been something I, I was even aware of that I had that fear, you know, but um, I guess it was just the fear of our ultimate demise. <laughs> and that's how it masqueraded, you know, that, oh, you better make plans, you know. So yeah, we can get sucked into all kinds of things. And and the point is not to not to, to stop doing them. I think Kim Watnick would say um, that, you know, not to try to make yourself to stop doing them or to stop projecting, but to just look at it with Jesus and invite the Holy Spirit in and watch yourself doing it. Because that's, that's it. It takes the power out of it when you can look on it without getting upset or with, just see what you're doing. And so there I go again and laugh at it. You know, the ego doesn't like to be laughed at. I've been, if you don't take it quite as seriously, 
then it loses its hold on you. But as long as we're thinking, oh, darn, when am I ever going to stop doing that? It just, that just keeps it going. So, um, Bruce, did you have something? Yeah, I, I was thinking, you know, another, another sort of large category. Uh, I, I was reminded the other day, I was looking at the quote, uh, you know, the, the course says, the course doesn't uh, require that you have no thoughts that are not pure, but just none that you would keep. And I was thinking about, well, the, the, the non-pure thoughts, because if perfect oneness is, is you know, non, pure non-duality is our real nature, anything that makes duality real or, or makes the dream of our, you know, space-time personas and, and identities a big deal and makes them <laughs> important and we get upset about things that happen or don't happen in the world, you know, those essentially are, are impurities, if you want to look at it that way, and in and, and, and the that we've made up in a dream, but I, I think the redeeming thing is just none that you would keep. It's just watching yourself go about your day, doing all the stuff that we, the myriad of things we all do, but just say, if I could just, you know, do whatever I think I need to do and just let go and not, not obsess or dwell on it. It's just like, Oh, okay. I just, I just need to keep letting it go, letting it go. And then, you know, then it kind of shortens the gap a little bit. And I think, I think that helps. Yeah. Anyway, thanks. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Because I think we think sometimes we have to do so much more, but I think that's really all he's asking us to do, you know, and we're, and to know that we're not doing it alone. And the Holy Spirit, as long as we're, you know, start our day with the, uh, the rules of decision, you know, I'll make no decisions by myself today. As long as you start your day like that. And when you forget, just turn back and ask, say, well, I forgot, I got upset and I know, you know, I want to, start over and uh, it's like hitting the reset button starting over again <laughs> and we can do that as much as often as we need to do it there's no you know number of times that you know that's it <laughs> you only get three chances this is it so um anyway anybody else have anything is it jane jane do you have i think one of the biggest things is comparisons when we compare to everything, you know, everything out there, rather than contrast, like Jesus is trying to teach us so that we'll know which one we really, really want to choose. And I think in comparisons, basically what's coming is we're making things as idols, turning things into idols. Uh -huh. um, you know, somebody is a better course student than I am, or somebody plays the piano better than I do, or somebody's younger than I am, and, you know, all that type of thing. But then I think that it turns from comparison of that into a formation of an idol, whether it be another person or a thing or, or whatever. And obviously those are major distractions in um, the path, <laughs> on, the, uh, on the path of salvation. Right. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you. Jay. Yeah. And it's just just knowing when we're doing it. And again, not to judge ourselves, beat ourselves up for it, make ourselves guilty. You know, and that's the thing when we start feeling guilty. That's a, like a red flag. <laughs> you know, the whole purpose is to help us to get rid of guilt, not to make us feel guiltier. So um, it, it tells us in chapter three on page 49, if you'll turn there for a minute, um, we're going to read some selections. I had quite a few references. That's why I um, we had sent out ahead of time in case we don't probably won't cover all these, but it just places in the course where he's telling us uh, the same thing about withdrawing, uh, withdrawing our investments in the ego and placing them instead in the, in the truth. 
So on page, let's say 49, paragraph one, starting at sentence six, it is a mistake to believe that a thought system based on lies is weak. Nothing made by a child of God is without power. It is essential to realize this because otherwise you will be unable to escape from the prison you made. So we have put ourselves in chains. And if you go to the next page on, um, let's see, page 50, paragraph three, sentence two, it says the separation is a system of thought real enough in time, though not in eternity. All beliefs are real to the believer. So we can't just ignore that. I mean, we do take this seriously and we, we can't just say, well, you know, it's just an illusion because that doesn't help. We really do believe in it. And then down in paragraph five on that same page, bottom of the page, it says the mind can make the belief in separation very real and very fearful. And this belief is the devil. It is powerful, active, destructive, and clearly in opposition to God because it literally denies his fatherhood. Look at your life and see what the devil has made, but realize that this making will surely dissolve in the light of truth because its foundation is a lie. Your creation by God is the only foundation that cannot be shaken because the light is in it. Your starting point is truth and you must return to your beginning. Much has been seen since then, but nothing has really happened. So um, did any of you have the chance to see the, uh, the little movie clip on Merlin that uh, Tim Lynn sent out before the class? <laughs> I love that because I saw that movie years ago, but I always remember that one scene and, um, in, in the uh, the movie, just so if you hadn't seen the whole movie, um, the queen, Queen Mab, she was the, the queen of magic, the sorceress, and she had power over the people and she and her, her sister, Lady of the Lake. And so they needed the people to believe in them. That's how they kept their power. But Christianity had come to the land. And so they were starting to lose their power as people were turning away from them. So to remedy that, she, de she decided she was going to make a, another wizard. And so Merlin was her creation. And she had him um, under the tutelage of Martin Short played the, her little gnome, Frick. He played a really good part. And, um, Mar but Merlin was a real disappointment. He didn't like doing magic. He only liked the little hand tricks and she couldn't get him to, to do anything else. So she had to start getting vicious. You know, the ego goes from suspiciousness to viciousness. So she started to attack and uh, cast spells on people and destroy things. And that made Merlin use his powers and he got stronger, which is exactly what she wanted. So in that last confrontation, you know, he realized that and he joined and Frick joined him and they, they just turned their back on her and they, they said, you're just not important enough anymore. So that's like what we do, you know, when we finally start turning our backs on the magic, you know, we start saying, this isn't working for me anymore. And it really only has the power that we've given to it. 
So anyway, if you get a chance to watch that whole movie, it's really good. And it, it even continues beyond that just for a little bit where um, once the queen was, you know, she just faded away into nothing. Like the ego just merely ceases to seem to be. And um, all the spells that she had cast, they were broken. So Merlin was reunited with his former love. And at the very end, they uh, he performed a little magic to put him back to their with younger stage so it was kind of like being back in the real world now so anyway it was a good movie and I thought it was a it was a good analogy so if you get a chance to see that so we can empower our miscreations and our wishes our desires and we can experience the effects of these thoughts because we believe in them and then we see them because we give them our beliefs and our faith but we can't make what is false true except in our experience and we can't, so we, you know, it does have, uh, in our experience, it is true, but not in, in the ultimate truth. So the first thing we have to do is to accept rebuilt, uh, responsibility for what it is we are seeing and to see that it is our choice, to stop playing the victim, but see that it serves a purpose to keep this dream of specialness alive. We need to keep the guilt as seen as outside of us and that we have to be the innocent one. It's always one or the other. So somebody else has to be always the, the guilty party. And again, not to beat ourselves up for it, but to see, you know, when we start feeling down ourselves because there I go again, am I ever gonna get any better? You know, that it's our own call for love. So, you know, it calls for compassion. You know, I had uh, used to have cats and they were some of my greatest teachers. I used to say, I was gonna write a little book about about that one day. And I had one, uh, one cat that she, she only liked one or two people. And I had a, a family member who just liked to taunt her all the time. And she was afraid, you know, and she would get back and she would hiss and she would strike out. And he would say, look how mean she is. <laughs> and I said, she's afraid, you know, and um, we're all like that, you know, and we can you know, when we're fearful, we can be vicious and, and we can see that in other people and see it as their call for love, too. So um, the way to the way back is to withdraw the power that we've given to illusions and invest it instead in the truth. And again, like I said, choosing the Holy Spirit each day, setting that as our, rule, our rules for decision. The first thing um, that I'm not going to make decisions by myself today. And, and just to ask, you know, to see when we're starting to go in that direction and, and we'll be guided back. We, um, Holy Spirit is there just guiding us back on course all the time. One of the, uh, one of the oh darns, oh darns that uh, I, I experienced on this little trip to New Mexico was uh, I, I, uh, I, I thought I lost the power cord to the computer. Oh, no. And then, of course, we had a meeting that was going to happen. And then we were supposed to initiate that meeting. And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, uh, so, you know, I was a little apprehensive to say the least. And, and then, so that, that's, that's, that's kind of troubling enough to get that kind of freaked out. But then on top of that, I wanted to defend my, my uh, right to be, uh, you know, concerned, my right to be apprehensive. Like, like it wasn't just enough to be apprehensive. It was like, I felt like I, I had to justify, 
you know, obviously anybody would be upset if they lost a power cord and they're getting ready to start a friggin' meeting. <laughs> like, like, you know, add to it. <laughs> of course, I never lost it. It was just misplaced, but still. <laughs> yeah, the computer, that's mine too. And, and I, I started laughing the other day. I heard Muji say that. I was so surprised. I thought Muji gets upset about computers. <laughs> Saying how he was doing something, he had to get somebody to help him, you know. And I thought, oh my, that, that was very, um, I like that. <laughs> and he wasn't above that and wasn't afraid to admit it. So, <laughs> so everything that we have made and believed to keep us separate, the Holy Spirit can use as our classroom. So we have endless opportunities every day to look at what our egos have made and just acknowledge it, just to see it for what it is. And only what God made is true. Only what God made has any power. So I had a list of references, but I last night at three o'clock or this morning at three o'clock, I realized there were two that popped in my head. I thought, well, darn, I should have put those in there. So... <laughs> Um, one is from the uh, chapter 27 on page 582 of the text. It's on paragraph six. There are two, two, uh, two things in this chapter. It says the part you play is paragraph six on page 582. The part you play in salvaging the world from condemnation is your own escape. Forget not that the witness to the world of evil cannot speak except for what has seen a need for evil in the world. And this is where your guilt was first beheld. And separation from your brother was the first attack upon yourself begun. And it is this the world bears witness to. And then if you go over to page 587, this is such a good reminder. Um, paragraph 10 at the bottom of the page says, the secret of salvation is but this, that you are doing this unto yourself. No matter what the form of the attack, this still is true. Okay, so he was talking about we, how we believe that others are doing to us really what we think we did to them. It's like the opposite of the golden rule. So he says, whoever takes the role of enemy and of attacker, this still is the truth. So anyway, um, we're doing it to ourselves. And that's, you know, that's, we can just remember that. And the other one that's really important is on page 448, uh, chapter 21, the uh, Roman numeral two, the responsibility for sight. Okay, and that is um, paragraph two. This is the only thing that you need do for vision, happiness, release from pain, and the complete escape from sin all to be given you. Say only this, but mean it with no reservations, for here the power of salvation lies. I am responsible, <clears throat> excuse me, for what I see. I choose the feelings I experience. And I decide upon the goal I would achieve. And everything that seems to happen to me, I ask for and receive as I have asked. So he's telling us there that we have to accept responsibility. Again, not to beat ourselves up for it. And it's not that things that are happening necessarily 
it's our fault, you know. Yes, we all made this collectively, this world, but we are responsible for how we interpret what's happening to us. That's the only thing we really do have um, control of, the experience of what is happening to us. And some people have gone through some pretty horrific things, you know, being in concentration camps or being falsely imprisoned. And I used to always think that would be like a horrible thing to be in prison, you know, a life for something you didn't really do. You hear stories of like that and people, some of these people are amazing. You know, they found such peace in the midst of all of that. And they said, my, my mind couldn't be imprisoned. So, you know, I hear stories like that and they had awakenings in prison. So we are responsible for our own internal state of mind. We do have the responsibility to stop making the error real to catch, just to catch ourselves as we're reacting. And again, being gentle with ourselves. Question? So, I'm sorry? Mm -hmm. Question? Sure. Um, um, I can't see who's I, talking, so I'm sorry. I no, no trouble. I think, I think Ken said, you know, just because something feels real doesn't mean it is real. Mm. Because some because sometimes those things can feel real. Like my state of mind doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to control my emotion about it. Almost mm. like, like emotion is part of the dream. It's part of the dream body, you know, the dream nervous system, the dream emotional system. And so that could still be going, right? The gross of fuga. The ego can be playing its song at the same time the Holy Spirit is playing its song. And I choose one. But, but if I think that means I'm not going to feel it, hmm. then, then sometimes I can go, oh, well, I must not be choosing the miracle then. Hmm. Because if I was choosing the Holy Spirit, I would feel total peace. I would feel total. And, and so I think that's something that helps me when I'm choosing the Holy Spirit and I still feel, I still hear the other side of the song playing. But like you said, it's how I interpret it. Do I yeah. Velcro onto it? Do I make it real? Do I, you know? So right. that's a, a that helps me with those situations that that feel real and painful and unbelievable and horrid and you know they can feel that way, but I don't have to velcro to it and I can say it's just a dream, you know, and and what a dream it is, but it's it's just a dream. Thank you. Yeah, that was a good point. Thank you. Yeah. So I had some other. Um, things I thought we could look at. Uh, let me see. On page 84 in the text, page 84, paragraph four, if I could have somebody to read that. Let's see. Let's see. Stephen, would you like to read that? That took me. Okay, 84, paragraph, which one? I'm sorry. Yeah, that's it. Paragraph four on page 84. Got it. Whatever you accept into your mind has reality for you. It is your acceptance of it that makes it real. If you enthrone the ego in your mind, you're allowing it to enter. You're allowing it to enter makes it your reality. This is because the mind is capable of creating reality or making illusions. I said before that you must learn to think with God. To think with him is to think like him. This engenders joy, not guilt, 
because it is natural. Guilt is a sure sign that your thinking is unnatural. Unnatural thinking will always be attended with guilt because it is the belief in sin. The ego does not perceive sin as a lack of love, but as a positive act of assault. This is necessary to the ego's survival because as soon as you regard sin as a lack, you will automatically attempt to remedy the situation and you will succeed. The ego regards this as doom, but you must learn to regard it as freedom. Thank you, Steve. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, yeah, a whole bunch. And, <laughs> and kind of, uh, no, it is what it is. Uh, but uh, I, I often think when I read something like this, uh, how, ge how genius ego is. Um, and I get a little afraid about that. Uh, but I'm, I'm, also, uh, I'm also taken aback by this uh, unnatural thinking will always be attended with guilt because it is the belief in sin. Uh, uh, guilt sneaks up on me on a regular basis. Uh, and I really don't know uh, it's, it, it's happening. Uh, I, heard, uh, I heard Watnick uh, a couple of days ago uh, talk about, he, he, he gave a summary of the course. And basically he said, if guilt is, if, if, if you're experiencing guilt and you step back and you look at it, you stop the process of projecting it onto someone else or onto yourself, and that that changes that changes the whole thing. That that's like the first step of forgiveness. Uh, I'm getting a little complicated here, so so no, I'll stop that. No, uh, that was just, good. no. Thank you. That's good, Stephen. I mean, that is that is the first step. You know, withdrawing it from what you put in other people, and then you know, seeing that you're doing it. So. Uh, and then looking at it so you don't keep it, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. But yeah, that's, and, and it's true. We do fear it. And the, like I said, the, the ego's ranges from suspiciousness to viciousness. And when, when you start to be, you know, you start to be more loving and all, yeah, then it's going to rear its ugly head. So, but if we know that, you know, then we can be um, as prepared, I guess, as we can be, you know, again, by doing those, starting your day right. And whenever you forget, just do it again. So, uh, and to know we're on this together, you know, I feel like this is a big support group here. <laughs> we're all going through, through the same thing. And, you know, our scenarios are a little bit different, but we all, we're all here doing the same thing together. And I think that really is helpful. Did, did you have something, Abe? I thought. Thank you. Oh, okay. Hey, Tony. Oh, David. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I went through this last night. Um, I made dinner and I guess I didn't really want to make dinner. <laughs> um, I, but I kept telling myself I was okay with it. But a little while later, my wife says to me, you seem like you're in a mood. And I said, no, I'm not. And then it took me about a minute and I went, yeah, I am. <laughs> and as soon as I looked at it and then I was like, so what's this for? Why am I setting it up this way? You know? And it was gone. It was just dinner, you know? Um, it's amazing how we can put little things that becomes the distraction for how I'm really setting the problem up, you know, mm -hmm. and uh, as soon as I looked at it and I was, I, I kind of ran through it and I said, so what are you upset about? And I'm like, nothing. There, it's nothing. It's, it's just, it was really nothing. You know, I just put little things in there to make it something, but it was really, 
And as soon as I did that, um, I was fine. It was, I was back on track again. So it's amazing just by looking at it sometimes yeah. it takes the power away. But I think we have to look at it early enough before it builds up steam. Yeah. Right, right, before it gets in there, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think that um, Dave brings up a good point that you always have to see what the purpose is. I noticed, Dave, when you share, you know, in the last few times, it's always been about you catch the purpose of what am I doing this for? And then it's it's over, you know, it's like that's how we look at things is we have to ask ourselves, what what are we doing this for? You know, yeah, it turns out whatever it is isn't really what it is. That's just, yeah. you know, right. um, but it's it's to be right instead of happy, you know, I mean, really, it's <laughs> and to separate from whatever, you know, and usually it's my wife, we spend the most time together. So, you know, it's like, I'm always, you know, finding a little scratch to itch, and then I'll keep picking at it. And when I'm catching myself, you know, as soon as I notice the itch, it's like, okay, what are you doing here? So, and then it goes away. And that's great. It's, it's yeah. so wonderful. I've been sitting with uh, I've been sitting with that image of soul was talking about the way I Velcro myself to a problem. And and when you know, when you put push Velcro together, it doesn't make any noise. Like all of a sudden I'm fused with the problem and I don't even know it. But I think the Holy Spirit should have a sound when we unvelcro because that sound we make when we we pull ourselves away from the problem like rip. <laughs> That's what it feels like. It feels like there should be a noise that goes along with it. There is, Tim. It's a little pop. It's me pulling my head. Out of my head. That's <laughs> Lynn Lynn Altman has something. I thanks. Yeah, I um, I had a really weird thing happen today. I, I had a very deep experience with the lesson this morning and was really um, touched by how immediate salvation is. And I mean, it, it was just really, and I realized I had some anxiety about that too, but it was just, I was so aware of the simplicity of things. And um, I went into the office to do a little work and there was an email from a cousin of mine and I clicked on it and it was a video that he was sent of some horrific confrontation that I didn't know anything about that apparently a lot of people know about, but I didn't. And I watched the whole thing. I read all the commentary on it. It, I just sort of went down that whole hopeless you know, split off of everybody wanting, and, and I, I've just been with that all afternoon, you know, kind of keeping remembering the lesson from time to time, but not taking five minutes because it was just like, I couldn't pull myself away from this despair and the hopelessness of this, you know, ongoing situation. And I, and I've just realized as we've been sharing tonight that, that what happened, I was that I did, I got more scared than I thought I got my experience this morning and I went to the one thing that is guaranteed to take me out of the moment of being in the presence of spirit there was just you know I and I a big part I didn't want to live at some deep level I didn't want to get out of that I wanted to stay in that state of separation because of of that unconscious fear 
So it's it's really that's for me when I'm starting to to realize that it's 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 very hard to um, to think that it's fear rather than think it's it's a defect in character or it's you know a weakness or I'm not serious enough or I'm not working hard enough I'm not doing what Jesus is telling me there are all those reasons but it's just really just being afraid to let go as much as I know or I'm coming to know I can let go of the ego. So wow. anyway, I just, um, Thank you. just felt like I needed to just put that, say it out loud so that I see myself or hear myself. Well, thank you. The, the fear of redemption that we're, you know, we're afraid of it. We are, we're afraid to wake up, you know, and you think it's the, the, the end of our special specialness, our self, and it is fearful. It can be frightening, but, but thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Anybody else have any, anything? Okay, if you'll turn to page uh, 452, paragraph, I'm going to read just a little bit down to paragraph seven. Again, this is about where we place our faith. It's on page 452, starting with paragraph five. It says, it's impossible that the son of God lack faith, but he can choose where he would have it be. Faithlessness is not a lack of faith, but faith in nothing. Faith given to illusions does not lack power, for by it does the Son of God believe that he is powerless. Thus he is faithless to himself, but strong in faith in his illusions about himself. For faith, perception, and belief you made as means for losing certainty and finding sin. This mad direction was your choice, and by your faith in what you chose, you made what you desired. The Holy Spirit, and this is where the Holy Spirit can take what we have made and use it for his purposes. The Holy Spirit has a use for all the means for sin by which you sought to find it. But as he uses them, they lead away from sin because his purpose lies in the opposite direction. He sees the means you use, but not the purpose for which you made them. He would not take them from you, for he sees their value as a means for what he wills for you. And now he's talking about perception, that's the means. You made perception that you might choose among your brothers and seek for sin with them. The Holy Spirit sees perception as a means to teach you that the vision of a holy relationship is all you want to see. Then will you give your faith to holiness, desiring and believing in it because of your desire. Faith and belief become attached to vision as all the means that once served sin are redirected now toward holiness. So that's when we turn to the Holy Spirit and the, the very things that we, we see and that we do, he can use them to show us something totally different. So anybody have any thoughts about that? Anything? The power, the power to believe on powerless. Right. I like that. Yeah. I mean, how messed up is that? <laughs> Amazing. 
<laughs> we have all the power as sons of God, and what have we done with it? You know, we just deceive ourselves, make ourselves afraid, and we're afraid of our own power. We really are. We're afraid of our dreams, and it's just crazy. But um, and of course, my favorite, one of my favorite ones, is on page four forty three, where it's talking about this world being a hallucination. Uh, that's page four forty three, paragraph seven. In the middle of the paragraph, or sentence uh, three, what if you recognize this world is an hallucination? What if you really understood you made it up? What if you realize that those who seem to walk about in it to sin and die, attack and murder and destroy themselves are wholly unreal? Could you have faith in what you see if you accepted this? And would you see it? Hallucinations disappear when they are recognized for what they are. This is the healing and the remedy. So it's all again about purpose. Believe them not and they are gone. And all you need to do is recognize that you did this. Once you accept this simple fact and take unto yourself the power you gave them, you are released from them. One thing is sure, hallucinations serve a purpose. And when that purpose is no longer held, they disappear. Therefore, the question never is whether you want them, but always do you want the purpose that they serve? This world seems to hold out many purposes, each different and with different values, yet they are all the same. Note again, there's no order, only a seeming hierarchy of values. Only two purposes are possible. Here we go again. Only the two purposes. One is sin, the other holiness. Nothing is in between and which you choose determines what you see. For what you see is merely how you elect to meet your goal. Hallucinations serve to meet the goal of madness. It goes on uh, to the next page. In paragraph 10, what has no meaning cannot be perceived, and meaning always looks within to find itself, and then looks out. So th there again, we're either always choosing between the ego, the Holy Spirit, and it's not necessarily what we see, but how we see it, the interpretation that we give, and that depends on the purpose. Are we feeding our ego, or are we you know, sharing with the Holy Spirit? Anybody have any thoughts on that? Yeah. I think I, I saw the same video Lynn Altman saw. And then, and then in the sidebar, there were three other videos that even got worse than that one. <laughs> and it, it, was, it was a serious rabbit hole and I watched myself going down it. And, and then, you know, like, like I could have taken any of those videos and prayed for everybody in there the cops, the, the people that were pulled over, the little nine-year-old girl that cops sprayed. I mean, pray for the cops too. I mean, how much fear do you have to have to spray a nine-year-old with pepper spray? I mean, it was just like, you know, like, like, like my unwillingness to, you know, not go down the rabbit hole, just take it, just take it and then pray for each one of those people. Help me see them the way Jesus is seeing each one of them, the cops and, and, and the seeming victims in each situation. 
but it, it just was like, it was like, man, it was just, it was really slippery. <laughs> it was really easy just to shoot like, like a greasy sliding board, just went right down it. But then at the same time, it's the way out at that point. Mm. Each one of those people in those situations becomes the way out. Right. Mm. Yeah. Thank you, Tim. Yeah. Len? Yeah, what I came to in the afternoon was that thing. I wanted somebody to be right and somebody to be wrong. That was the, that was the slippery slope. And realizing that needing to see everybody through the vision of the Christ mind is the, is the way out. You're absolutely right. And there are times we don't want to, you know, we have to be okay with that too, you know, forgive ourselves and just ask for help. Say, I'm not ready. I don't want to, I don't want to give it up yet. <laughs> I want somebody to be wrong and it's their fault. And I've, I've been stuck in that. I had a whole battle with an insurance company one year went on for seven months or I think. And, and I, you know, I'm here, I'm doing the course and I'm before I make my phone calls, I'm prayed up and I'm going to see this differently, you know, and it went on for seven months. It finally, it was resolved, I think, but I keep expecting it sometimes to come back, but um, it's just amazing how things it can get in there and get a hold. And um, we just have to be vigilant. You know, we really have to be vigilant for the ego and, um, not, and again, be gentle with ourselves because that's why we're here. You know, if we're here just to, no matter what our life situation is, we all have plenty of opportunities every day, whether you're living by yourself or you're a lot of people, you, we all have equal opportunity <laughs> to, um, to do this work. And that's what we're here for. So um, I'm just grateful that we have each other to, to share all this with and uh, reminders because we need reminders. I know I do. I just had maybe one or two more and then I think I'm going to close. So does anybody have anything else that they, um, that they have to share on the subject of, about uh, where we put our faith in, our illusions, and <laughs> we want to feed our egos. Okay. Janism. Thing. I can't see Thank everybody. You. Just one quick thing is that Ken says we have to be vigilant for our journey home too. Not mm. just vigilant <laughs> for the ego, but we must be vigilant to uh, achieve our journey home, to make, yeah. it's already there, but you know, to remember, to remember that who we truly are. And, and I think that helps a lot when we, because when I think about being vigilant towards the Holy Spirit, I have within myself a real peace. I think, mm. oh, <laughs> you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's something I can't describe really, but when I, if I, if even if I'm vigilant for the ego or against the ego or whatever, no peace, <laughs> none at all. There's just no peace. Thank you. Thank, thank you, Jane. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I'm just I have a... go ahead. Somebody else? No, go ahead. I'll wait. No, go ahead. Um, I was listening to the recorded prayer that Ken has. Be still. And it has music and then a little prayer. It's on YouTube. And he, he has a visualization in there at a point where he says to imagine uh, Jesus reaching his hand out to you. And, and, and then he says, call it Jesus, call it God, whatever works for you. 
but but imagine a hand reaching out to you and you placing your hand in that hand hmm. and and so i've been listening to that several times a day and and when i encounter something an opportunity to unravel and it's difficult i immediately imagine the hand reaching out to me and putting mm -hmm. my hand in it and and then i and then sometimes i imagine jesus is sitting next to me watching the video holding my hand <laughs> and that kind of helps me see it through those eyes instead of have to figure out for myself how to interpret it correctly or it's very tangible you know for me that I, if i'm trying to go which course lesson do i go to here <laughs> you know that could be a little bit of a slippery slope so when i imagine my hand in the hand i go i don't have to do anything but put my hand in there and then allow it allow it to be seen differently so that's one thing and and then i have a social work class i had said and and we learned about this idea called the dignity of risk where when people want to choose something harmful to themselves allowing them to is like called the dignity of risk and so i i was listening i think it was um foundation jeff was talking about my brother wants to suffer so so when i watch that suffering my hand is in jesus's hand and i'm also feeling my brother has the dignity of risk if he wants to keep choosing the ego and being in a world where people are spraying each other and doing all kinds of holocausts and stuff he that there's a freedom in that when i'm like i don't have to do anything about it he i can respect the dignity of risk for him with my as long as my hand is in jesus's hand and jesus is showing me how to look at it differently through his eyes you know him it's not that you know specific but it can be in those moments and that's given me a freedom from from before i had been listening to the prayer and I would be like searching in the files in my mind for a course lesson or, you know, whatever little way I try to attend to it. Now that just put my hand in the hand mm. and let it and let that be the eyes I see it with. Thank you. That's beautiful. That really is beautiful. And that's true. We do have to respect where everybody's at. We're not. It's not about anybody else. Each of us has our own work to do. And when we all, you know, we know the end is inevitable. And when we decide to do it, you know, that's not our, we just have to worry about ourselves, but we have to respect other people where they're at and their beliefs and what we're all will, willing to accept. So Abe, uh, Abe has something. Abe? Yeah, you know, I think the discussion of reclaiming your power is incredibly useful. Uh, the, one of the challenges I face more, uh, frequently is that uh, I catch myself riding this tornado of emotion a bit too late when the tornado is, you know, <laughs> F5 or whatever the, the biggest tornado is, instead of it's a little dust devil. So uh, that's what, one of the things I, I really like about Dave Dempsey's description. I think he was able to, to maybe recognize the dust devil gathering strength and he decided, hey, I'm not going to write this uh, vortex. So uh, I, I want to find a, a ways to catch myself uh, choosing to ride the tornado longer so I can, I can then reverse my steps back and say, no, I'm just going to catch myself when, the, when it's just a, simply a dust devil. 
and then it's a lot easier to get off of the thing. <laughs> Thank you, Abe. I like that. <laughs> Good description. Okay. Well, I had a few more references, but basically they're all saying the same thing. And I, I put them on the, the sheet and uh, about withdrawing our investment in the ego and reinvesting it in truth, you know, and the, asking the Holy Spirit, asking Jesus to help us see things differently and, um, and just trusting that the answer is there. I think um, just remembering that, you know, the atonement's already accomplished. We just have to accept it. It's, not, it's nothing we have to do to become enlightened. You know, it's just an awareness of what's really there. And we just have to remove the blocks to it. So that's helpful too sometimes just to uh, know that the truth is right there beyond what we can see maybe because we're so fixated on the problem, but, but it's there. It's really there and having faith in that and asking to be shown or at least having some, some proof that, that that is the truth, you know, and um, without asking for signs necessarily, but it's a knowing, just a knowing that regardless of what you're going through, the truth is still the truth and nothing can really harm the son of God. So um, we have that power within us and we just have to start claiming it, you know, and um, taking it back <laughs> and saying, I don't want to go there, you know, and um, maybe we can do it like Abe was saying at the beginning of the, before it gets, starts building the momentum, but um, we'll find out. And we're, and we are all, we're in this together. Like I said, I'm so grateful to have this, this group. Bruce, uh, Bruce had something. Uh, just, just, just a quick uh, response to off of uh, what Abe said. I was thinking the dust devils. You know, if we if we, if we if it gets to the stage of dust devil, um, it's already kind of swirling a bit. But but uh, maybe with practice, we could all get to the place where we don't even have to word use both words. We could just get to the duh and, and dust devil, and, and it's like, oh, that's right, duh. <laughs> I'm not feeling at peace. <laughs> anyway, in case that's helpful. Thank you, Bruce. Instead of, oh, darn, it's just, oh, oh. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just another classroom. Oh, <laughs> I can have a VA. Oh, it's <laughs> good. Tony, I think you did a beautiful, I went through all your references, and I, I think you just did a beautiful job with them. And, you know, even the sequence of them was beautiful. Um, so, you know, thank you very, very much. And I will do it again and again, because it is such a, a wonderful um, topic. <laughs> important topic. So th thank you very much. That, that I'm sure that was not, that there was good dedication to that. And uh, it, I appreciate it very much. I'm sure everybody does too. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Well, what I wanted to close with of every... Everybody, is there anything else? I, I wish I could see everybody. I'm going to have to eventually get a camera for my laptop so I can see everybody. But um, there's a little book like Kim Wapnick, um, Healing the Unhealed Mind. And it's very, very good. And it talks a lot about this subject. And there is a paragraph in here that I thought would be a good way to, um, to close. And uh, there were some references I didn't uh, get to but if you, you've got them that um, you want to take the time to, to check those out. And uh, there was one in, in a, the teacher's uh, manual about healing, how 
when we join with the truth, we don't, with the person who is ill, we're not reinforcing the belief in sickness. So that's how we help too, by not joining in with the problem, but as we can hold to the truth. And so it's not reinforced because again, what we share goes, gets stronger. So if we are, um, you know, it's, we can withhold our belief in the problem, then it's not uh, getting stronger anyway. So anyway, this little paragraph um, I'm going to read and then we can just take a moment to get still. He says, clearly the world has no power over me. My decision-making mind is what alone chooses my experience of peace or conflict, joy or terror. To say this one more time, I am not responsible for what you choose. I am responsible only for choosing whether I join you on the dance floor of specialness and death, where you are inviting me by being sick, fearful, or angry, or inviting you onto my dance floor with Jesus, where you and I are not separate but dance conjointly to Jesus's sweet song, together or not at all. Let's just take that thought into the, the silence. And gently come back. Thank you, everyone. Terrific, Tony. Thank you so Thank much. You. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. It's really good. Excellent. Thank you. I need Thank you, Tony. Thank you. Thank you. Good night, everyone. Tony. Thank you. Tony. Thank you. 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 Thank you.